What's up, everybody? Pastor Micah here, introducing another Fireside Chat, episode 266. Uh, first of all, yesterday was amazing. Uh, Sunday, we had Charlie Kirk here. He brought the message. We had Sean Foyt here leading worship. I was so stoked just to uh, soak it all in in the congregation with you guys, and it was a blessed time. Uh, while we were here in Newbury Park, Pastor Rick Brown was up north in San Jose with Pastor Mike McClure. Uh, if you don't know, we talked about this a little bit last week. Uh, Calvary Chapel San Jose with Pastor Mike McClure. They're facing over a million and a half dollars in fines. Mike McClure personally is facing thousands of dollars in fines. His assistant is personally facing thousands of dollars in fines just for being open in this season, for choosing uh, to worship God and submit to God instead of man. So they need our prayers. And Pastor Rick Brown is up there supporting them. He taught yesterday morning, Sunday morning, and we're going to listen to that message tonight. That message was out of Nehemiah 2, and it was so timely, and I know you guys will be encouraged by it. Before we hear the message from Pastor Rick, we're going to see a little bit of a video from Friday when their hearing was uh, up north in Santa Clara County. Um, So listen to um, this hearing. It it advocates for faith and freedom with uh, attorney Bob Tyler. He's there, and you're going to get a little bit of, of a hearing update, and then that'll roll right into Pastor Rick Brown teaching at Calvary Chapel San Jose. All right, hey. So I uh, just want y'all to know we just finished so the courthouse over there. We just came out of court, Calvary Chapel, San Jose. Uh, we are in the middle of a contempt hearing where uh, Mike and Carson, Mike's senior pastor, uh, are doing church service. And, and there's the possibility, even what they were saying today, that they are frustrated that um, the church is still meeting. And are not taking jail off the table. And here we are, we come out, we're in this old historic courthouse downtown, San Jose, and we're defending them because of their constitutional right to be able, for churches to be able to meet indoors. And we come out and and here we got, uh, on this spot, this is right across the street, and this is President McKinley, who said on May 13, 1901, The Constitution is a sacred instrument and a sacred trust is given to us to see to it that its preservation in all its virtue and its vigor is passed on to the generations yet to come. And folks, that's what we got to do. We got to keep fighting. We got to battle to preserve that Constitution that our founding fathers fought for. And Mike, please say something. Look at the front of this, right Right here. You got... You got McKinley, speak, he spoke this from this spot. And then you got the cross, you got the Ten Commandments, you got the Word of God. I mean, here you have a, a picture of the of freedom and the Holy Spirit, the fruits of our labors and what it is to be Americans. And it's, it's so key to understand the Constitution comes from the Word of God. And where the state has always worked with the church, and the church has always been a blessing to the state for the first time in our country, we're seeing the state trying to overtake the church, just like they have marriage, just like they have all these other institutions. Now it's up to our job to hold the line and it's going to be painful. You know, we're going to have tribulation if we do what's right and live godly. And so, uh, um, you so point thankful. out the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> See, you, you got all of this. I mean, what a, what a picture and you got law and order. You got this whole thing is like, 
I want to take our judge out here and give him a little tour. I think he's <laughs> lost the constitution. But what a what a reminder that we have truth and, and a constitution that protects the truth to to meet and to worship. And I'm so thankful for Bob being here and his team. He's done such a great job. And uh, you know, ultimately, what we really need is a revival. We really need a revival. Without that, we're we're. It's, it's looking bad up here. It's going to spread. This is where it starts. Mm -hmm. This is the worst place to live in for, you know, I think in the country as far as being a Christian. But it's spreading from here. All the things that have gone throughout the country. It was Newt Gingrich who was telling me one time, the San Francisco values went down to L.A. and took over Hollywood. And then it went to Washington, D.C. And the same sewer is flowing out of here. And this is where it's come from. We have to stop it here. So pray for this location pray for all the churches here there were several pastors that were out here with us today they want to open their church they can't they're afraid they, they're getting intimidated and uh you know it's it's not easy being a christian but especially being a pastor in the bay area so pray and uh pray for our our founder's father mckinley's turning over in his grave right now <laughs> amen hey thanks uh everybody out there keep praying for you. uh calvary chapel san jose 2019, when I was here for seven months, heading up the Josiah Project and working with the team, and just having a lot of fun. Uh, I lived here back in the day in Sunday school rooms, for those who are new, uh, with my wife and two little kids back in 1992 with Pastor Don McClure, Pastor Mike's dad. And uh, Pastor Mike and Brenda were in the youth group. I was their youth pastor. And so uh, Brenda told Tammy and I one day how she, she loved Mike and she was going to marry him. And... Uh, I told Mike that he seemed uh, ambiguous, or uh, and uh, but you know seven kids later I think it you know she's a tenacious girl she got her man so it's so it's a blessing to come as I do over the years and I've come back and forth for all of these years and when I was here uh, shortly before I left I was snapping the lines to lay out the new stage. We tore all of this stuff up, all the carpet. Carson and I moved every single one of these pews on the bottom end. And Carson's a young man, like he's 21. I'm 55. And, uh, but I wasn't going to be outdone. The ones in the back are very heavy. They're very long, solid oak. And him and I are carrying these things. And, and finally, Carson said, I got to take a break. My hands are about ready to fall off. And I said, finally. <laughs> I was trying to be a tough guy, you know, uh, keeping up with the young guy. But um, so I have a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in this place, in this fellowship through all of these years. So it's like coming home anytime I come home. Well, I want to share with you guys today really what's on my heart because uh, in many regards, I have a whole different perspective in my life today than I did for 31 years as a pastor. And maybe you have that different perspective after 2020. My wife and I kept saying all the way through the year, unbelievable. Unbelievable. It reminded me of Princess Bride, that little bald guy that always said, inconceivable, inconceivable. In and finally the guy says, I do not think that means what you think it means. <laughs> but uh, really unbelievable. And then this year started in the same way, right? We were thinking, man, maybe 2021 will be a little less dramatic. I was uh, in Washington, D.C. for all of the rallies and marching back to the Senate. We got a picture up here, Matt. Thank you. 
It's hard to, for you to see how far that is up to the Washington Monument. It's a long ways. They figure there's probably 250,000 to 300,000 plus. Shoulder to shoulder, you could barely bend over and tie your shoes. And I'm only halfway to the podium where uh, all the speakers spoke and the president spoke. And I just want you to know, just as a brother in the Lord, as a pastor, the narrative that you guys are hearing is very different from those who were eyewitnesses. All of our cell phone service was totally blocked out. There was nobody that could send a text, nobody could send a video, nobody could do anything. It was either shut down or we overwhelmed the system to where it was, you know, there wasn't enough bandwidth to deal with that kind of traffic. We're not, I'm not sure which. People had children on their shoulders. It was peaceful, it was a family-oriented thing. We said the Lord's Prayer to start things. You know what it's like to say the Lord's Prayer with 300,000 people out loud? Unbelievable. <laughs> Truly a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And uh, everything was peaceful. There was nothing in the uh, rally speeches that would incite the kind of stupidity that happened at the Capitol. It was obviously everybody was very passionate about dealing specifically with voter fraud through a legitimate constitutional way and a peaceful way. There was no desire to incite for riot whatsoever. As an eyewitness, I would have never got that impression about everything that happened. We marched all the way back to the Capitol, very peaceful. As a matter of fact, somebody tried to incite and instigate something early in the morning with just as the people were filing in. It was so great because these people were telling us uh, very colorful things. And and I'm thinking, there's thousands of people here. Do you have a death wish, these two people that were trying to instigate things? But I really think they were going for a photo op. You know, maybe somebody was going to video and see some kind of insight, some kind of, right? And, and the person next to me said, hey, brother, we'll be praying for you. God bless you. And they're giving us the universal sign that I love you. And... Uh, so that was, that was kind of the temperature. But there was a faction, that far-right extreme faction, that is also a part of the movement. You know, you can't have a big crowd without having that element there, those who are more militant. And uh, there were people that were starting chants that were very faint because they didn't gain any momentum with the big crowd. And so as I marched back, I was adjacent to the Capitol steps when the a family that was next to me, uh, extended family, four or five family members, you know, kids, uh, their phone dinged and they said, hey, somebody just breached the Capitol and we were right, you know, uh, parallel to the steps. And I'm like, oh no, somebody's just got stupid. You better. So I was going to Union Station to get out. They shut down all the trains. We couldn't get out. I had to get an Uber um, and get out of Dodge before everybody was stuck in that situation. So it was very real, but the narrative that you're hearing just drummed a thousand times a day about this uh, is... is um, disproportionate. You don't see any coverage of all the other beautiful thing that happened all day long. And hasn't that been all year long? Like a solid year of that. I want to share with you guys today how to rebuild a nation. Because that's what Nehemiah was going through. And Nehemiah was going to rebuild his nation but I was thinking, how can I really encapsulate the drama and the heartache and the distress that if you were to say to me a year ago today, January 17th, last year, that our nation would be where it's at, I would say, you're out of your mind. Check this video out. 
Yesterday, we told you about the mom who was tased and handcuffed at a middle school football game after not wearing a mask. Well, that story has sparked emotion around the country with strong opinions on both sides. Here's Stephen Fabian. Video of a mom tased and hauled off in handcuffs at her son's middle school football game is sparking intense debate across America. Of course, no, it should have never come to this. Does this mean that someone can actually be arrested for not wearing a mask? Alicia Kitts was sitting in the stands with her family when, according to a statement from the cops, a police officer assigned to the school told her several times that she needed to put her mask on. When cops say she refused and wouldn't leave, she was advised she was under arrest for criminal trespassing. What happened next is shocking. New video of the confrontation shows Alicia Kitts struggling with the officer. Suddenly, the taser comes out. Tase somebody over a mask. Tasing this lady over not wearing a damn mask. Spectator Tiffany Kennedy shot the video. That was just the craziest thing I've ever seen, ever, as a result of not wearing a mask. This officer could have handled him a lot, uh, a lot better than he did. Skylar um, Stewart is the father of the youngster who watched the terrifying incident. Why not just put the mask on and this whole thing could have been avoided? You know, they weren't hurting anybody. Uh, this mask mandate is, is absolutely ridiculous. The video shows she has a mask in her back pocket, but her lawyer says she didn't put it on because she has asthma. Officer Chris Smith is getting support today from local citizens who showed up at the Logan Police Department. Ohio's governor is also weighing in. Well, I would just say to people who are judging the school, people who are judging that officer, they were trying to follow guidelines with the sole purpose of they wanting their kids to play. Alicia Kitts has been charged with resisting arrest and criminal trespassing. If you were to tell me that happened in the United States of America a year ago today, I would say you're out of your mind, that it can't happen. And yet that is the condition. How many of you believe that as we now see the revelation of what our nation is really like at a governmental level, at a society, cultural level, how many of you believe that we really need to rebuild our nation? Amen. Amen. You know, the mask mandate in March, Dr. Fauci told us, don't get masks. You don't need them. They don't work. I mean, and, I mean, there's a percentage in which they do, and they're mainly for medical workers. But then the reversal. Now you just, you have to have them. Now we even have a pet name. If somebody's a, a mass Nazi, they're, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> COVID Karen or Carl uh, COVID Carl. Apologies for Karen and Carl that you guys got that label. I just, that's, that's unfortunate. But people that are so adamant about this, and this is a thing because all of these people are passing away. But we live in a culture, people are telling us to follow the facts. Well, we're all reasonable, responsible, rational people, right? We can read, show us the facts. So when the facts hit the internet, though, they're immediately deleted. Why? Because they don't follow the narrative. So you have this, this cancel culture. If you're a voice of, of reason, I know doctors because they realized early on that if you 
prescribed hydroxychloroquine, a drug that's been around for 65 years, used in safe ways, actually was beneficial to people when they had it, but you can't, no, 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 that, they got canceled. They got fired because they couldn't prescribe something that would actually help people. But the narrative even gets weirder because even if somebody's going to analyze it, only the data from uh, an economist's perspective, check this out. I don't know if you saw this newsletter that came out. It only lasted a day, so you had to be quick. This is from Johns Hopkins University, and this is a uh, Geneva Briand, Assistant Program Director of Applied Economics Master's Degree Program at Hopkins, a reputable school, John Hopkins, critically analyzed the effect of COVID-19 on U.S. deaths using data from the center, CDC, from Center of Disease and Control Prevention. In her webinar titled COVID-19 Deaths, a look at U.S. data, okay? So here's the data. Show me the next slide. And so here at the bottom, what they discovered is she did a snapshot of the previous year. Oh, I know, honey, this is boring stuff for you. <laughs> Pastor Mike will be back next week. <laughs> Who is this idiot in my pastor's place? Get out of here. I, I love that kind of loyalty, right, from followers. Anyway. So she does a snapshot. She's, only, she's an economist. She's only doing math, right? She, and, and you can't get any more factual than math. And, and so she does the, the numbers. In the previous year, in the same span of time, she measured how many Americans died. 1.7 million people. 1,700,000 people died in the same year without COVID-19 in that period of time. She did the same analysis of 2020, and the number of people that died in America was 1,700,000, the exact same amount of people. So you say, what gives then? If all these people, right? All the adjustments, if they had heart disease, but they had with COVID, they would have attributed that before to heart disease. They would have attributed it to cancer. They would have attributed it to diabetes. They would have attributed it to pneumonia. What do they attribute it to, though, to, through 2020? COVID. Because we know that COVID, don't get me wrong, COVID's a real deal and very uh, troublesome if you're older and you have core morbidities. If you have these issues, if you have underlying, and they've, they've actually mary, man, uh, measured this mathematically too, if you have 2.6 core morbidities, you have diabetes, you have COPD, you know, you have some of these things, then it is going to be very tough for you to kick this. And if you're in that situation, you should do everything you can to protect yourself and your loved ones around you. S having said that, Governor DeSantis, now there's two governors in our country that actually are sane, great leaders. Ron DeSantis in Florida and Kristi Noem in South Dakota. Yeah. <laughs> Governor Newsom and Governor Cuomo on the West Coast and the East Coast. It's all right, shh, shh. Don't give them too much love, hang on, hang on, all right. They're on the East Coast and the West Coast, and they are in a competition of who can be the next emperor of Rome, all right? And uh, it doesn't matter that 
their laws, they don't have to obey them, right? Gavin can have his dinner out with his friends, 22 people, no mask, have his number one health officer there with them at dinner in a restaurant, pictures of it. First, they tell us, no, we're outside. Where there's a... No, it's okay for them. Like the mayor of Austin, who's like in, he's in Mexico somewhere, like Cabo, enjoying his wonderful vacation, and he zooms back to his city and shuts it down and says, you guys can't do anything. What's up with that? Mayor de Blasio shuts down Times Square and the ball falling for New Year's so him and his wife can dance, right? Now, if you can't see the tyranny, tyranny is oppressive governmental laws, oppressive. This is what our forefathers were getting out from underneath, right? When they got away from Great Britain, when they got away from King George, their Declaration of Independence, attached to it was 27 grievances that they felt that they had with King George. So when we look at rebuilding a nation and we see what's going on, and we see these kind of stats, that this was taken, it lasted one day, this data. Why? Because you can't, you can't be talking about follow the science. You can't look at the data because the data is too logical, it's too reasonable. Governor DeSantis, Ron, with this last uptick, he said, I will not shut down the state of Florida. He is responsible for 22 million people in the state of Florida. He is on the cutting edge of medical advice and scientists all around him. He is getting the best data possible. He said, I will not shut down my state for a disease that is 99.8 recoverable. <sighs> Finally, somebody that will speak reason, right? Aren't you relieved? Now, some of you want to move to Florida. <laughs> I'm from Idaho. All the tail when I was coming to California, all the taillights were going to Idaho, right, where I'm from. And Christy Noem didn't shut down her state of South Dakota. You know what she said? The wisest thing. This is what our founding fathers intended in the, in the Declaration of Independence and our Constitution and the Bill of Rights. She said, I believe as a governmental leader for my state, it is my job to get the best research from the professionals and instruct our people in our state and trust our citizens to be personally responsible individuals. That's the United States of America. That's the United States of America. Now, I was a pastor for 31 years and did not get involved politically because I'm from Idaho. People say, how come you're not talking about candidates and voting? I'm like, I'm surrounded with people in pickups, guns, and they all vote red. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, it made no sense to me. And then I came to California for a short period, and I went, oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is what it's like to live in communist China? Right? If they don't like you, they just cut you off, censor your, cut off your Twitter, Twitter account, your, your Twitter account, your Twitter account, your uh, Facebook, your whatever. That this, I'm like, where is our constitution? Where are the people that are standing up? And, and I want you to know, the strongest call that a person, their ears can hear is the cry for help. When you hear, help me. Everybody drops everything because you don't know what's going on, right? You're, you're running to that call for help. And our nation right now is crying, help me, help me. Because of what we see going on in this crisis, it, it, it's unbelievable. 
And we want to look at a guy that also had to rebuild from the ashes and the rubble of national destruction, a guy by the name of Nehemiah. And he's going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. You see, revival had started before because it always starts at God's house. They rebuilt the temple shortly before that. You see, if you're going to rebuild a nation, you've got to rebuild the church. You've got to rebuild the people. Hey, anybody know of a whole bunch of churches in this town open declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ? Where are they? They're here, they said. <laughs> Let me just ask you, you're here, and so, right, your pastor, Pastor Mike, Pastor Carson, they're opening the doors for you guys to come. Do you know that the wait and what they're going through to do this? The church has $1,600,000 in fines. Pastor Mike has $25,000 in fines. Pastor Carson has 22500 in fines so that you guys can come and worship Jesus. That's what you call courageous leadership. Because you see, you guys, we're not rebels. All of us are, we're ta we pay our taxes. We obey the speed limits. We're good to our neighbors. We're not robbing from them. We're not stealing. We're good. We're, we're Christians. Right? But when the government tells us that we can't do what God's told us to do, then we become civilly disobedient. And this is just so that you know, yeah, amen. It's, just so you know, this is throughout biblical history, Old Testament and New Testament. When Pharaoh told the midwives to do something that God had forbidden them to do, he said, You kill those male children. And the midwives said, We're not killing. Right? Because we believe in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our forefathers even put it in our constitution. Right? Life, liberty. You have to have life before you enjoy liberty. And the midwife said, no, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. And God blessed them for not being obedient. They were civilly disobedient to Pharaoh, though. Right? How come you're not good law-abiding law citizens? This is where we're getting from all these churches. You guys are breaking Romans 13. No, we're not. It says, for the king... Who, who, is the, who is the leader of the United States of America? It is we, the people. The citizens, the citizens of the United States, we, they govern us by our consent. And we don't consent to this. And we will still obey all the laws, but when they tell us we can't come and worship, well, you can get together, but don't sing praises to God. Sorry, <laughs> because we're specifically told when we get together, sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts to the Lord, right? It's like, okay. So all of these things, we, we don't consent when they tell us to do something against God's word, like the midwives, or like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, when Nebuchadnezzar told them to bow down to his idol. I said, sorry, O king. They worked for him. I mean, they're on his staff. Right? He says, you bow. When you hear the music, you hear the trumpets, you bow. They said, oh, king, <laughs> uh, God's able to deliver us, but if not, you know, we're not doing this because we're civilly disobedient. You know, we've been good employees. We're good citizens, but we can't do this. And so he threw them into the fiery furnace. So don't underestimate, you know, if we make this stand, guys, it's one thing to clap on a Sunday morning, but to pay the price, that's a whole different thing. You got. This is reality. This is what's coming. Is there's going to be a price to pay. 
And when they tell us not to do something that God's told us to do, like Peter, now Peter told us in 1 Peter chapter 2, obey all the authorities of the law, all their laws, all their ordinances. Well, this is the same apostle Peter that when the Sanhedrin told him, don't you dare preach in Jesus' name, he said, sorry, fellas, you judge whether it's right for me to obey God rather than you, but John and I, we're going to preach the gospel, so... What was Peter doing? He was civilly disobedient because they were telling him not to do something God had commanded him to. When Martin Luther King, who led the civil rights movement with his incredible dream of equality, he was thrown in jail. Pastors all over town sent him letters telling him what a lawbreaker and a bad Christian he was because he was in jail. He said, what's going on? You are a bad Christian because you're not in jail with me. And that's why churches, have you discovered this is the threshing floor to separate the wheat and the chaff, to separate the sheep and the goats? It's like that old story in Russia that these small underground Bible study, handful of people, 10 people or so, and two people come in, and they have masks and guns, and they think they're the officials, and they said, okay, whoever's not a Christian and you want to run for your life, we're going to let you go. And a couple of people left because they weren't committed Christians. And then afterwards, the guys took off their mask and lowered their guns and said, we're Christians too. We just wanted to worship with true Christians. <laughs> but isn't that what's happening? And some of you have come from churches, and you go, wow, I didn't know my, our leadership was so spineless that they had no guts. And so after all this is over, I would, oh, well, go back to your fellowships. And people are telling us, like, are you out of your mind? Why would I go back to somebody that won't stand for the Lord? Well, let's read Nehemiah 2, verses 17 through 20. It says, then I said to them, this is Nehemiah speaking to the leaders in Jerusalem, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me and also for the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the health officer heard of it. <laughs> they fined us with fines. They laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? What are you guys doing over here without your mask? You guys are super spreaders. Look at you, super spreaders. You guys are the problem with society. Did you know that? You're the problem in the neighborhood. You're the problem with the incredible outbreak of things that are going on. And they shame us with this simple statement. Don't you care about your grandmother? Well, of course I care about my grandmother. I mean, that's, that's crazy. When I went to go visit my folks this summer, because COVID was going out and about, right, I was going to go visit them, and because I'm around a lot of people without masks, I travel, I'm in and out of airports and what I do, and, and my wife and I, we wanted to be considerate. And because, you know, my mom and dad, they have other marriages, and then my uh, wife's folks, there's six adults, they're all in their 70s and 80s, and they have 
Some of them have core morbidities. So we called and said, we're going to come home and visit if you want us to, number one. Number two, how would you like that to go? You want us to wear, you know, an N95 mask? Do you want to have dinner at a very wide table, six feet wide? Do you, you know, we wanted to honor them because we love our parents. And to say that we don't love our neighbor is ridiculous. But we also love the 99.8% of our country that they've shut down our schools, shut down our businesses, shut down our community. And by the way, this is the smartest virus ever. It goes away at 10 o'clock at night. It only has a boundary of 120 miles. Right? And the thing is, I've had people that I know and care about that have passed away from COVID. It's a real thing. If you have 2.6 core morbidities or more, right? I mean, I'm not saying that these things are not so, but I'm saying who is speaking up for the rest of America, the other 99%, right? And the thing is, I want you to know, this is my, uh, this is my Gallup poll, Rick Brown's Gallup poll. Six adults that I care the most about on the whole planet, my wife's parents and my parents, and we said, we want to love you. And they said, who cares about masks? If this is what's going to take us home to be the Lord, we love our family. We want to be together. But can I say that there are people with faith and they're not afraid to die? People that don't have Jesus... Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says they are in the bondage of the fear of death their entire life until Jesus sets them free from that fear. So realize this, you guys. We have something in our hearts of faith to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. I can't wait to get to heaven. I can't. If I ever, I've told my church, if I ever die in the pulpit and I revive what you do in CPR, I'm going to punch you in the mouth. So that kind of hope that we have, you guys, not everybody has it. That's why, see, you know, you're walking down the street. I don't have a mask on unless I'm, you know, on an airplane or something. And, and people, like. <laughs> my wife and I are going down a trail in upstate New York. We're walking. We don't have masks. And there's a family. They don't, they don't have masks. And so the whole family, I mean, wife, kids, adults, they turn around and they hold their, oh. Can you imagine if we acted like that every year for flu season? Because that's really what it is. For, you know, 99% of the people, it's like flu. Last August, I'm with my dad. He's 82 years old. And, and I just went to visit for this, you know, uh, a summer vacation. And my dad, the next day, he gets really sick. And I think he's got COVID. I said, Dad, I think you got COVID. Let's go to the doctor. We went to the doctor. The doctor said, yeah, you, Larry Brown, you have COVID. And he said, they're going to do the test. Okay. So he does, does the test and, you know, goes up and gets some brain matter. And, uh, you know, reaches up there and, and does the test. And then the doctor, he's very, very a matter of fact. You see, we're from Idaho, doctor, very down to earth. And he said, let me tell you, Mr. Brown, 50% this comes back positive, 50% it comes back negative. The test is unreliable. And he said, but I want you to know, because of your, your uh, symptoms and there's nothing going through our area, you have COVID. I'm telling you, you have COVID. And so my dad and I, you know, this is new. This is my dad. I love my dad. And I'm like, doc, give me some, you know. He said, if you can't breathe, go to the emergency room. Goodbye. So my dad went home, and he felt really bad for about three days, like you would with a flu. And then he had a low-grade fever for about a week. He's 82. After that experience, I'm just sitting there hanging out with him. I'm like, 
You mean we're shutting down our entire nation before the flu? As a matter of fact, it's such a bad sickness, you actually have to go get a test to see if you have it. <laughs> When's the last time you went to the, you know, I'm here for a cold test, I'm here for a flu test. I mean, when you're sick, you go to the doc, right? It's unbelievable. That's why these numbers, and this is the thing that people don't get. If we're going to rebuild our nation, something has happened that we have lost our minds. We have lost our center because we have pushed God out of school. We have pushed God out of every dimension of life, and it happened with the church. The church is the leader. If you want to rebuild a nation, you start with us, you guys. Peter said that the judgment begins at the house of God, and that's why there's a threshing and a harvesting of wheat and chaff in this season. You know, it all started back here, you guys, in the Johnson Amendment for the church stepping out of the public arena. And throughout the Old Testament, all the leaders of a community, where'd they meet at? The city gate. That's where all the decisions were made. That was the courtroom. But the Johnson Amendment that was passed July 2nd, 1954, threatened churches that if they became political advocates for any kind of candidate, that they would have their tax exemption removed. And it scared pastors. So I grew up in a whole movement that everybody said, don't talk about politics. For two reasons. You'll lose your tax exemption. People don't want to hear it. And we want to grow the church. So you mean, I can't make a stand and declare what the biblical perspective is because people might leave? Yes. And you might lose your tax exemption. So I'm like, well, that seems pretty simple. If people are really committed to the Lord, they'll give anyway, whether they can claim it or not, correct? Right? And, and wouldn't, want, wouldn't I want to fill up a church with people that were passionate for the truth? Right? So declare the truth, and people will be attracted to the truth, and people that don't want to hear the truth will leave anyway. All right. All the fears are gone. Right? So we don't have to worry about it. It may mean, you know what it would be like to pay the property tax on this? This would probably just devastate the church right here. Just, just trying to pay the property tax on this. So, okay, are we going to go to home fellowships? I mean, the remodel's really nice, so it might be nice to keep it. <laughs> right? But hard times call for difficulties. And this is what happened. Is that, you know, see, the Lord has created three institutions. And it's like a three-legged stool. This, these three institutions that God has created in his word, these are observable for any of us. And that is, first of all, the building block of all society is marriage and family. All right? We see that in Genesis 2. He created the marriage and family. Genesis 1 and 2. And then he also created the church. In the Old Testament, it's the temple. In the New Testament, it's the church. And prior to the temple, it was people just worshiping at an altar like we see in chapter 7 with, uh, excuse me, chapter 4 of Genesis with Abel offering a sacrifice and the Lord accepting that sacrifice and he offered a lamb, right? Worship has been in the beginning. It's the beginning of everything. So the Lord instituted that, but he also instituted government in the covenant with Noah in Genesis chapter 9. He, he gives governmental officials the ability to exercise judgment and capital judgment of those who would kill another human. This is the first institution that we really see of an organized government that was going to have that type of authority. God created these three things. And for all of these years, do you know who were the leaders in the revolution and the voice of the revolution back when we broke away from Great Britain and King George? The preachers. The church, they had an election sermon every Sunday before the Tuesday election. 
and they preached about those who would stand for biblical values, those who were the closest to. Now, this is what people tell me in Christian church. Let me tell you, the church today is squishy and spineless. Let's just sing kumbaya and drink lattes at Starbucks while we look at our phones. And I don't get involved with politics. It's so dirty, that politics. <laughs> and that Trump, he's so rude. He's so <laughs> abrasive. And I just want to be a nice Christian that takes my kids to soccer practice, and I'm just not, who wants to get involved? I'm just staying above the fray of all this stuff. This is why. The church stepped out of the government realm. Check this next slide out. And what are you going to do? Next slide. <laughs> next slide. It's a stubborn slide. It'll come later. Okay. So you're going to fall on your tail, right? And that's where we're at today. So we have a church for 67 years since the Johnson Amendment that stepped out of the, the uh, venue, stepped out of the venue of the public square to get involved with the school board, to get involved with the city council, to get involved with running for mayor, to get involved with the county commissioners, to get involved with the state assembly, to get involved with Congress, to get involved in a uh, Republican party or behind a candidate that you really believe in. So we now have abdicated that for 70 years and we have sown the wind and now we are reaping the whirlwind. And if we're going to rebuild our nation, it's going to start with the church. That's us right now. Right? We're on our tail going, what happened to our nation? For 70 years it's been happening. Our education system has been teaching our children basic humanism and ruining their faith away from God. Now they're adults. Do you know that 70% and over are, uh, of the next generation lean towards or embrace, uh, embrace socialism? So it doesn't matter if Donald Trump won again. You know what? The entire younger generation wants socialism. Now, they won't teach them history anymore. Right? So they, they don't know that for 5,800 years of recorded human history, there has never been a socialist nation that has risen to any kind of effectiveness. Why are the caravans right now in Mexico, Central America, South America, why are the caravans all coming for America if America is so evil? If we're trying to get away from America, can you look around and find any country you want to go to that compares to America? I've traveled the world. I've preached around the world. There is no nation on the face of the earth like America. Nowhere. And everybody's telling us how bad it is. And I'm like, well, how come people are dying to get in this place then? And the only reason it's that way is because of the Judeo-Christian ethic that helped the founding fathers create the greatest constitution the world has ever seen, the Constitution of the United States of America. And most constitutions, according to David Barton, the historian, most constitutions in the world only last for 17 years. And we're at uh, 233 years since the, uh, you know, um, 1787 when it was instituted, the Constitution, because it took some time after the war and all those different things. Well, this is the reality, you guys. We have abdicated our role in our communities. We're taking our kids to soccer practice and being good Christian families, and the left has went after everything. 
They went after the school board. They went after the education. They went after city council. They went after the county commissioners. They went after the governorship. They went after everything. And we were dead asleep. And we have nobody to blame but us as the church. But today, but today, I say we wake up. Right? Because when Nehemiah says this word, for them to rise up and build the wall, it was going to be an incredible amount of work. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's going to take, if it took us 67 years of basic dilapidation, do you think it's, we're going to have to start working for the next 20-year plan to save our nation. But if we don't do it now, you see, government control is like a boa constrictor. With a victim of a boa constrictor, every time the animal exhales, it senses it and it cinches and it cinches, and it cinches. You know what? Nobody in America, I shouldn't say that, people in the church or people that are aware, do you realize the kind of governmental control that's coming? And you think, oh, it's going to be over soon. We thought that after 30 days. Once government gets the power and they've exercised it, they get addicted to it. And they love the control that power brings. They love the power of it to the way it makes them feel. There are people that love money and there are people that love power. And when those two things go together, it's, it's a... It's a uh, addictive cocktail that they have a hard time giving up. And the only way they'll give it up is if the citizenry, you can't, you, we can't fix our nation from the, the White House down. You can never change a nation from the top down. You have to change it at the grassroots. It has to be the local church. It has to be the local school board. It has to be the local politics. You can win this city. Then you win this county. Then you win this state. Do you know in Ronald Reagan's day, California was a red state, right? But do you know <laughs> There's 15 million Christians in California, and only 50% of them are even registered to vote. And of those who are registered to vote, only 25% of those Christians vote in a presidential election. And you're telling me you're sitting there just watching Fox News bemoaning and, you know, sucking your thumb about our nation, and we're not praying, we're not voting, and we're not getting involved. There's time for the nation to awaken. There's a time that we have to wake up. Check this out. Just to remind you, I know you've got to dust off these old documents, but Nehemiah is going to rebuild a wall, which is the defenses for a city. And he brings leadership, and the people rise up, and they're going to get the job done. But the First Amendment says, Congress shall, why, why are we open on a Sunday morning? Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Can the governmental leaders, according to our United States Constitution, the governing document of our nation, we are citizens under this document, can they make any law that prohibits our free exercise? According to that, no, okay. Or abridging the freedom of speech Everybody's getting canceled. You'll get cut off on, on Facebook, Twitter, Google, whatever. All these things are going off. Parler was going to be a backup to Twitter, and now they've axed them, right? There is no dissenting voice. It is all conformity. You know what people have to do? I talked to an 18-year-old girl that told me, she said it was easier, it would be easier to come out as transgender, gay, or some strange identification than to come out as a Christian that is conservative, she said, I lost all my friends. 
I was totally destroyed on social media, but she said, you know what? I finally made a decision. I got new friends now, right? 18-year-old girl. You know what people have to do? You know what people have to do in America if they are actually conservative and supportive in a break room or wherever they're at? They have to whisper, I'm a Christian. I'm conservative. I voted for the guy with the crazy hairdo. I did it. (laughs) Right? They whisper. Dennis Prager, who has a great conservative talk show, a Jewish guy. Dennis is awesome. He, I heard him speak last uh, two weeks ago, and he said, you know where else I've heard people whisper? He said, when I was in Russia. Russia, when people discovered I was an American, they would get close enough just to whisper, and they'd say, we hate communism too. And he said, then they'd walk off. He said, I would have never dreamed of the day in America you would have to whisper about your ideas, about your words, about your speech, about your faith, ever. It's embarrassing what's going on in our nation. It's embarrassing what is going on. And the whole world's watching. Why? Because we have been entrusted. Now, I realize the health officers think they're saving our community by the rules they have. This is the best CS quote. If you got a phone, you got to get a picture of it. You got to use it because it is spot on. C.S. Lewis, the incredible thinker of Christendom, said, Of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. Oppressive laws, that's what tyranny is, of a government that are exercised for the good of its victims. This is good for you, wear your mask. Good for you that you're quarantined at home. Good for you that there's a lockdown. It says, it would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His greed may at some point be satiated. But those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. They believe what they're doing is good. Their own conscience tells them so. And they tell us it's all for our good. It's all for our good. But James Madison said this, I believe there are more instances of the bridgment of freedom of the people by gradual and silent encroachments by those in power than by violent and sudden usurpations. Meaning it's been gradual, it's been gradual, and people keep telling me, it'll be over soon. It's not going to be over. Oh, they found a new strain. Oh! <gasps> In Los Angeles, in Colorado, but it's no more deadly. 99.8% of people will recover. We know how to treat things now. And this is the crazy thing. We'll now get the vaccine. Well, since I spent three weeks with my dad while having COVID, and I had some symptoms for an afternoon, because for healthy people, sometimes you don't even realize you got it, and I have the antibodies, That's not good enough. In the future, I'll be forced, if I want to get on an airplane, probably, to have my vaccine card. I had my vaccine. Now, tell me why, if I have the antibodies from getting the sickness, a vaccine that actually gives me the sickness only produces antibodies of 95%. Now, why would I trade that in for 99% antibodies, right, for the 95 it, make, it makes no sense. In Spain, you guys, in Spain, they're now tracking everybody that's not getting the vaccine because they've got to track you. I got off the airplane in upstate New York two weeks ago, and there were 10 soldiers there standing around a six-foot table that demanded everybody deplaning off this plane would fill out their paperwork to track you. I feel like I just ended up in China. It, I mean, it was 
actually frightening. It was weird. California, New York. New York has a law in the books that's been sitting there for two years, but now they're looking at the opportunity to pass it. And that is, if any health official thinks that you are a risk to society, they may imprison you. So it won't, just like the girl with the mask, right? She didn't have her mask on. That they can imprison you. It says they can um, arrest you. Scary stuff. But it happens gradually. John Adams said, but a constitution of government, once changed from freedom, can never be restored. Liberty once lost is lost forever. Do you know who's telling me this, you guys, in the strangest way? Is that all my friends that have immigrated to this nation and now are citizens of the United States. They've been here for 20 years, 30 years, 10 years, 5 years. And they're going, we're, tell we're trying to tell everybody, don't let this happen. This is why I just met uh, uh, Vanti or Vanta from Cambodia at the earlier service. She said, that's what I fled Cambodia to come here. And now you guys are letting it happen to you. And all of the people that she's talking to are like, you don't know what you're talking about. No, she does know what she's talking about. She lived under that. I've talked to Ukrainians. I've talked to people from uh, Cuba. I've talked to people, and these people are saying the same thing. And the people that I was, a guy I was talking to by the name of Robbie said his ancestors from Cuba said they wish they could have saw it coming so they could have fought back faster. And that's what I'm telling people now. We push back now or in 10 years, you guys. What? Well, you know, forget 10 years. If this much can happen in one year, who's to say? Now Biden with his liberal agenda, you know, to shut things down, it's going to be unbelievable. So we have to fight for it now. America is the greatest experiment of liberty in a republic in the history of the world. George Washington said that you and I have been entrusted with this experiment to see if we're going to be faithful with it or not. It says, the preservation of the sacred fire of liberty and the destiny of the Republic, Republican model of government are justly considered as deeply, perhaps as finely staked on the experiment entrusted to the hands of the American people. He said, we have been entrusted with this. And he said, privileged. And then he said, finally, meaning this is the greatest experiment. If the average of a a country's constitution has a lifespan of 17 years and we're at 233 years, to think that we, can't, we don't have to fight for it and dust it off at times to stand for it. We are a peaceful people, but we are a peaceful, praying people that want to change pe things through policy, through getting involved in our communities. We have relegated the public square and the public arena to the left for 70 years, and it's time we were salt and light at every strata of our culture, at every strata. And it may take us 10 years to get there, you guys. It may take us 10 years to get there. But this is the beautiful thing of what Nehemiah said back here in verse 20. He said, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Those who are coming against them did not have their history. Because you see, when you remove people's history, they don't know who they are. That's why the younger generation, they've changed the history. They don't believe the history anymore. 
And, and so you have to have history so that you know what is the true history. Because if you don't know where you came from, you don't know where you're going. And we are now going to be a rudderless society that is headed with breakneck speed towards socialism. Now, granted, Christianity can thrive in every single government form. If there's a monarchy, Christians can thrive. I have ministered to people in Iran that are in house churches, and they are, it is a capital offense. You can be executed if you convert a Muslim from Islam to Christianity, and yet they are bold in their witness for Christ. In communist China, the underground church is powerful, powerful. And it's not that we can't have those things. It's just why should we settle for them before we have to? Amen? Amen. Let's stand and pray. Father, we just ask that by your spirit and by your grace, you would do a work in our hearts. Lord, we realize that these are epic times, and we pray that you would take our hearts and our lives and use them for your glory, to be salt, to be light, to be useful for your kingdom, to rebuild a nation as Nehemiah rebuilt the walls and the people rose up and there was leadership. And he said, Lord, you would prosper our work. We want to get involved in our communities. We want to get involved at every level. And Lord, please forgive us for uh, being afraid of offending people. Please forgive us for hanging on to a tax-exempt status and giving up the truth for that. Lord, thank you for being faithful to us. And I just pray that you would soften the judge's heart, the soften the health uh, workers' hearts, um, protect the church here and Mike and Carson and everybody in the body. And Lord, we just pray that this fellowship could be a city on a hill that is glorying in our citizenship in heaven and also in our American citizenship. Lord, we thank you that in our right hand we have your word. And in our left hand, we have an incredible document that people that loved you and knew you gave us in the Constitution of the United States. And so, Lord, help us move forward in a new season because we are really called to a period of time that is historic and life-changing. And the destiny of our nation is at stake. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What an encouraging message from Pastor Rick Brown. Um, so timely out in Nehemiah chapter 2. I'm going to close you guys out with the blessing as we always do uh, every fireside chat. That's out of Numbers chapter 6 verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. We love you guys. We will see you tomorrow night at 7. And if we don't, we'll see you Sunday morning at 9 11 or 1 p.m. Don't forget, uh, YouTube is censoring us. Uh, they're continually taking down videos that they feel um, can't uh, meet their standards of truth, whatever that may be. So uh, we are constantly putting videos that get, that get taken off of YouTube. We're putting them on Rumble. So you can look at the description of this video and you'll see links to our Vimeo account, our Rumble account, our Parler account. Um, so check that out. Don't forget to subscribe on all of those platforms as we're battling the tech oligarchy in their censorship. Uh, we love you guys again. We'll see you tomorrow night or Sunday morning.